The sea floor between Japan and Australia is cut by a preposterously long trench at the bottom of the ocean. The Mariana Trench, rumored to be nearly seven miles deep at its peak, is the deepest part of the Earth. Even with modern technology, most of the trench remains largely unexplored thanks to overbearing pressure of being six miles underwater. On the cover of Wise Blood's fourth studio album, Titanic Rising, the singer-songwriter finds herself submerged in an underwater bedroom, not as deep as the aforementioned Mariana Trench, but every bit as pressurized. Wise Blood brings a comforting presence to an album bursting with anxiety and restlessness. Titanic Rising is rich with emotion that drowns the listener with thoughts on love, astronomy, and technology in the modern world. And for that, Titanic Rising is an art school album. Andromeda's a big wide open galaxy Nothing in it for me Except my heart that's lazy My guest today, making his second appearance on the podcast after being the second guest in the history of said podcast. He is my former roommate. He is my current friend. He is Griffin Mang. Griffin, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. We were briefly talking before we went on the air. Basically, we lived together for two years, and then within a moment's notice, we you know, stopped living with each other, and I haven't seen you since. It's been a year since I've seen you in person. I'm wondering, how are you holding up? The beard is still long. The hair is still long. Not much seems to have changed in our brief catch-up, but I'm just curious, how are you holding up? Better than I expected. Like, it took forever because I moved back home, and my hometown, like, is already kind of empty. So, like, it was, like, it wasn't unusual. I'd go on, like, these evening walks, and it would just be no one, which is normal. <laughs> and so, like, it didn't really feel like coronavirus, even though everyone was wearing a mask and all that stuff. Um, but other than that, you know, you know, I, I guess I'm lucky to say it, I'm doing well. <laughs> That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I, of course, live alone now. As soon as I started living alone, I was like, wait, why didn't I do this sooner? This is much more of my speed of my lifestyle. But I'm curious now that we have some distance, because the first episode we recorded together, we were living with one another at the time. That was the year two in our two year roommate relationship. I'm curious from your perspective, any thoughts, comments, critiques on living with Case Low? Yes, I think about this a lot, actually. Well, because like, okay, so I'm actually going back to the Plymouth where we first lived tonight, Damn. because Nick and Charlie lived together two floors above where we lived, lived uh, in the exact same room. So we're going to watch like a film or something. But so I just felt really bad because when coronavirus was first happening, you were very much in a bad headspace. And I feel like a good friend would have been like, hey, man, how's it going? Want to talk about it? But instead, I was like, oh, Case is being moody. I'm just going to go somewhere else. <laughs> like, So I, I want to formally apologize on the record. I was kind of a bad roommate and friend because I was like, Case is just dealing with some shit. I got to do homework. I'm leaving. <laughs> Let me counter that with two things. Uh, one, I feel like my bad headspace was understanding the gravity of the novel coronavirus before most people did. I well, feel see, like... I was that asshole who was like, dude, like one week, it'll be a weekend, quick in and out adventure. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 guys. This is really bad. Uh, we need to pay attention to this. And I wasn't getting much reception from you. Uh, the other people that lived in our building at the time, former guests of the show, and I do love her, Sierra Cruz not super receptive to it at first and I was kind of like no 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 very bad in long term like this isn't going anywhere bad the other thing was I'm glad you didn't check on me because I was avoiding you because you had just gotten back from New York to go to some like hippie concert or whatever it's like well god who knows what diseases he picked up there? If it's not the coronavirus, it has to be something else. So I was trying to separate from you as much as possible. I like how like <laughs> I like how you're like, oh, I'm like as opposed to telling me that or texting me like, hey man, I'm gonna quarantine from you. You're just like, I'm just gonna avoid him. <laughs> like I'm just not even gonna tell him. Which to be fair, for the people listening, it was the last ever Almond Brothers concert, which subsequently is the last ever concert that Madison Square Gardens held before coronavirus. Is that the last gig you went to, or did you go to something in Chicago before things shut down? 
that was the last gig I ever went to. I was supposed to play a gig that weekend, but I was like, I'm going to the Allen Brothers show. <laughs> like the one time I've ever turned down a gig, someone offered me one and I was like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> that, yeah, I, it just hit at the end of February was the last the last show I went to, Rap Boys and Case Oats at the hideout. That was February 29th of 2020. And I was pretty bummed when I passed the one-year mark there. And, you know, hopefully at least in Chicago, like, if Riot Fest can happen in some sort of capacity, not that I would ever condone Riot Fest. Just in general, on principle. Just just on (laughs) principle. Like, look, I'm not, like, giving it thumbs up. But if Riot Fest happens this year and My Chemical Romance does headline, I would imagine you would see me in the pit at Douglas Park. I just, I can't imagine I'm not there. So I would would like to think that 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 is coming up in the future. Uh, The one thing that I've really taken away – from not living with you anymore is something that is not, this is not your fault. I am not blaming you. It's actually probably my fault. The second year we lived together, we shared a bedroom, which was fine. I didn't have any issues with that. Uh, I feel like I, I liked you as a roommate. Like I've had roommates that I'm not crazy about. I liked you as a roommate. The issue with our bedroom, and I want to know if this bothered you as well. Because I I, it, I I hope it did. Maybe I just sound insane. But mm. you would you were a you were a diligent student. You do more homework than any person I know at this school. You would always be at your desk working, and then I would come home, and I could not get to my side of the room unless you stood up, pushed in your chair, and let me by. And it was weirdly mentally taxing. Am I correct in this? Yeah, you you one hundred percent. So. Oh, my roommate's cat. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that, is, um, that, that is not my cat. I, I do not condone animals. That is not Case's cat. Um, no, I agree. Like, there would be times, like, where I would hear you. And it's funny because it's a very trivial sort of thing. Um, and, like, like I loved having you as a roommate. Like, like I've had literally worse roommates. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it was definitely one of those things is that, like, like, it's even simple just, like, moving things out of the room. And, like me being a musician and like having a record crate and stuff like it's Marshall just stacks. I do have I, I do have stacked marshals <laughs> I have two separate amplifiers <laughs> stacked on top of each other uh but yeah like I, I agree that room setup like I, I don't know it's like a, it's more of a typical dorm setup I think we get spoiled at Columbia a little bit with the dorm setups <laughs> that is true I at some point I just remember thinking like man we should just change the way this room is set up this is an avoidable issue like we're mm-hmm. causing this ourselves and going like eh, i just don't have the i don't have the energy for it and then before you knew it something as trivial as pushing your chair in seemed completely irrelevant <laughs> thanks to the novel coronavirus which means that you know bands stopped touring bands stopped playing and for some bands it means they stopped rehearsing in the case of Yin Waster, which is your project, earlier this week at the time at the time we're recording this, you had your first in-person rehearsal in almost a year. How was that? It was good. Like because we've done a couple of live streams, but they're like just acoustic drum songs. So it's kind of like, okay, we're not really doing any like jamming or anything. It's very like cut and dry to the point. Um, but this is our first rehearsal back, and it was wonderful because like not only was the was the music room or the music building really quiet because there was like no one there. So we just like cranked everything up for the first time in a long time. And I was like, I'm damaging my hearing. Like I should be. <laughs> you, uh, you turn it up to 11, dare I say. Oh, we turned it up to 11. <laughs> it's very cool of you, Griffin. It's a uh, very cool that you turned your acoustic guitar up to 11. I'm sure you had some extended jazzy breakdowns in there that, you know, when you send me the demo, I'm going to be like, do you need that whole do you need that whole part? There's like four <laughs> minutes in there that you could just cut. It's just, it's just fiddling around. I almost sent you as a joke a uh, fish record to be like, hey, can we review this? But then I was like, that's just gonna be miserable for everyone listening and you. It'll be f- kind of funny for me. <laughs> Griffin, I'm glad you said that because we're here today to talk about a wise blood record. But when I asked Griffin back on the show, like I do almost all my guests, I said, you know, Griffin, send me three to five albums that that you would be interested in discussing. The audacity that you had to send me the list of records that you did. <laughs> Let's just talk about the records that we're not going to be discussing today. Pond's The Weather. I don't know anything about Pond. Who are they? So they're an Australian psych rock band. And I'm out. 
but but like okay so but listen but that record's like it like a kind of indie psych pop kind of record like it, it, it's a really interesting i thought you would get i thought you would enjoy a little bit of it it's very like politically charged too i and i like it you sent me a king gizzard and the lizard wizard album they are on the short list of my least favorite musical acts of all time <laughs> see i feel like you would love that album okay so each song's like you know four or five minutes long at the most they all the songs stream together and they all are like that garage kind of punk early sound. So I feel like you would have liked it out of all their all of all their records. That that is the one. I saw that. I was like, nope, I'm not even listening to this. <laughs> I'm not entertaining it. It's not happening. You sent me now, I, I'm not gonna knock this one as much. You sent me a Counting Crows record. You sent me This Desert Life, which I was completely unfamiliar with. And I listened to a little bit of that and I liked it, but I didn't feel strongly enough about it one way or another to feel like I could do a show on it. But but briefly, because, you know, obviously I'm an August and everything after kind of guy. What is it about this desert life that you enjoy so much? So this is might be controversial. That's my favorite Counting Crows record. It might Very be in my top 10. Um, and I think part of it has to do when I heard it. Like I heard it in high school and it was like, basically like Bob Dylan meets the Counting Crows. Like it's very like some longer, more surreal songs. So I don't know. I really like it. And it feels kind of, it's a very like LA kind of album. So it's kind of, you know, gratuitous in ways, but I love it. And then the other one, not this wise blood record that we'll talk about Titanic rising, but the other album you sent me tame and palace, the slow rush Griffin, what are you, or do you basic now? What is this? Okay. So I kind of give, I kind of give my tame and palace story. If there's ever a podcast for you to give your Tame Impala story, this is the podcast, Griffin. So when I was in high school, I liked like two or three Tame Impala songs. It, you know, they were like an indie psych band and I love psychedelic rock. I love indie rock. But like, it was kind of like that was too close to home. Like it was too tailor-made for me for me to like it. So I was like very much like, fuck that band. And then I heard that record when we were living together that subsequently became like my favorite record of the year because it like is all about time and like in coronavirus world it's very time is very weird in addition to it just being a great album and I was just like oh, I just want to talk about it with Case I didn't think you would like it but I just kind of wanted to talk about it unfortunately I know so many people that are into that band it probably would have been the most popular episode of this show because people love the Tame Impala I I love them I don't get it. It's kind of like an Arctic Monkeys thing where I think there's, because I am who I am, people will say, oh, you just don't like them because they're popular. I disagree. I actually don't like them because they're bad. Well, that's the thing is like now, now it's like I have like almost all their records on vinyl. Like I have like bootlegs from like radio recordings and stuff of this band. It's like now I'm like an archivist. Like <laughs> for this Gross. Band. Gross. Uh, Griffin, I'm curious. Uh, you're a man that not only enjoys fine music, you're a man that enjoys fine film. I, I wasn't necessarily planning on bringing this up, but then I thought about it. I was like, well, I, you know, I, I at least want to get Griffin's thoughts on this. Have you seen the trailer for the movie Shoplifters of the World Unite? Yes. Your thoughts on this uh, deranged Smith's fan fiction major motion picture that, as I tweeted out, is essentially my Joker. I was going to quote that. I'm like, the best take is your take, which is this is your Joker. <laughs> like, well, because like, okay, like, like uh, I'm a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. And a couple of years ago, there was that film Blinded by the Light, which mm -hmm. is like, is basically just a, like, from what I understand, I didn't see it, but like a coming of age film set to the music of Bruce Springsteen. And that's what this kind of feels like. I know it's based off of real events of some guy who like forced people to play the Smiths at a radio station. The, the story is that the day the Smiths broke up in 1987, a fateful day in this country and around the world, when you think about it, because, you know, Morrissey's kind of an international superstar. A, a guy in Denver wanted to hijack a hard rock station and point a gun at the DJ and make him play the Smiths for 24 hours, which is what this movie is living. It's my greatest fantasy. I mean, it's it's almost I'm like see a, it. it's like an erotic <laughs> thriller in my mind. It's really incredible. I received a text from former guest of the show and my good friend Keith Lipinski the morning of of this recording, and he was letting me know just how bad the movie is he said if you came in with low expectations lower them even more which is good you know <laughs> i can't wait to watch it i'm excited maybe maybe i will do an episode talking about that movie because griffin i'll let you in on a little secret and not okay. a lot of people know about this uh this episode uh, the day it comes out it will be april 1st of 2021 which means including this episode there are five more art school albums episodes remaining 
The show is going to cease being a weekly episodic podcast at the end of April. I will leave the feed open uh, in case there's something that I want to talk about in the future, but we are counting down to the final episodes of this weekly format. And so I had to have you back on. So uh, in a sense, congratulations on being in the final five. But genuinely, that's actually that's actually very nice and touching. Thank you. I'm I'm excited because I do listen to the podcast. I haven't listened to every episode, but I do like pop in every once in a while. Once like either if it's an album I know nothing about, or if it's a person I know about, those are my two like criteria. If it's like if it's like oh I, I know these guys, like I'll just listen to it. Or if it's something I'm like, what is this album? <laughs> well, that's good, Griffin, because we are here today to talk about Wise Blood's Titanic Rising. Uh, this is an artist that. I was only introduced to a few weeks ago, and I will tell you how I was introduced to her because I, I think it is something that you will appreciate. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll just go right over your head. But uh, I was going through Nardwar's video vaults. Are you familiar with the man Nardwar? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and I was going through these, you know, uh, you know his, his archive, and it's rapper I've never heard of, rapper I've never heard of, rapper I've never heard of, but they all give tremendous interviews. That is obviously the peak of digital content is, is Nardwar interviewing contemporary rappers. And I'm going through his YouTube channel and I see a pretty woman on this channel. And I think, who is Nardwar talking to? And it's wise blood. And I was like, oh, I've heard that name before. Definitely didn't think this is who it was. Let me watch this interview. And then I watched the interview and I thought, my gosh, she is so charming. This is such a fun Nardwar interview. So I was like, well, I might as well listen to her album now. Turns out, tremendous record. And then this was on the list of albums that you sent me. Uh, so I I'm glad that we're here to discuss it. What was your introduction, uh, introduction rather, to this artist? So she had opened up for Father John Misty like years ago. And so like whenever like an artist I really like has opening acts I've never heard of, I always try to listen to them and they're, and she's on sub pop as well. So I was listening, so I listened to her like early EPs and stuff. And she used to be like in like noise rock bands and things like go far cry from what she's doing now. And uh, so I heard that um, like those early, uh, like a front row seat to earth is I think one of her early EPs. And then this record came out when we were living together. And I was like, oh damn, this is like a modern kind of like classic it's not a perfect album but it's really really close like in my opinion <laughs> i'm curious because I, you are someone that has a better memory of what i say than i do at some point did you try to pawn this record off on me and i just ignored you i think we've been living together long enough to where like i would suggest it once and you'd be like i'm not listening to that and i'd be like all right I, you're not gonna listen to it <laughs> like <laughs> I don't remember that, but that sounds like something that I would do. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I cannot, I cannot argue with you there. Uh, Griffin, I'm curious if there's one thing I like doing, it's pitting women against one another. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do such now in the contemporary canon of female indie rock songwriters. I'm going to give you five names and I want you to rank them as to uh, how much you enjoy them. And so it, okay. it's, it's wise blood, Phoebe Bridgers, Julia Jacqueline, Angel Olsen, and Julian Baker. Could you give me a one through five of your enjoyment of those artists? Okay, first of all, Julia Jacqueline, I've been bumping like all quarantines. I have to thank you for that. And you her are and welcome, I, my good her, friend. Her and Idols, like the two bands that you like, showed me songs. I'm like, these are cool. And then like the mood hit one day and I was like, case. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so probably number one, Julia Jacqueline. I, That's huge. Thank you very much. That is a compliment to me, really. <laughs> I think uh, in her two singles she released uh, for the, the for the with the Sub Pop Singles Club, the uh, To Perth Before the Border Closes and Cry, phenomenal, like like just insane. Probably Wise Blood is a close second. Um, I'm biased. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Uh, probably uh, uh, Julian Baker next. Um, have I you heard the new album? I have not listened to the new record yet. I've been a little bit too busy. I want to sit down and like listen to it um so there's julian baker phoebe bridgers i have a hot take on phoebe bridgers i hey brother by all <laughs> means this is the place for it i think okay i should say this i like punisher i think phoebe bridgers is really a talented and good-hearted person i just think phoebe bridge i think i think punisher is just a good record and i think her next record will hit me the way punisher hit people like like i feel like 
I feel like the Elliott Smith worship was just a hair too much. And if you know, like musically, the Elliott Smith stuff, you're like, oh, I know that lick. But like the song, really, like Moon Song's fantastic. The the title track's fantastic. Like I'm not trying to like throw shade at Phoebe Bridgers. She's fantastic. But like, and I just haven't listened to much Angel Olsen. So that's why she's at number five. I've only listened to a couple songs of hers. So I'm sorry. I am so glad I asked. Uh, your your hot take on Phoebe Bridgers, you know, look, it's bold. It's bold. I'll say that. I don't think I don't think you could get away with tweeting that. I think the wrong people would see it and they would take it the wrong way. I'm glad that you obviously came to this safe space uh, where you could voice your opinions as such because that is a very bold opinion that you have i think this is the first time i've ever publicly said anything to it actually like like because like whenever like like once again like i like the record and i i'm happy she's getting praised but i think she 100 percent deserves it but like i had a bunch of friends treating me like this is album of the year this is album of the year and i was like i don't know i like tame paul a little <laughs> bit more <laughs> oh no that's why you suck griffin <laughs> bad opinion to have <laughs> oh no i kind of like this like trippy little sound the keyboard makes <laughs> You've mentioned the sub-pop label a few different times now. Julia Jacqueline did put out some stuff on there last year, bouncing from polyvinyl to sub-pop. Uh, Wise Blood, Titanic Rising, which we're going to talk about, that came out on sub-pop. This was not in my notes, but I just thought of it now because we lived together for a long time. We talked about a lot of music, a lot of deep Oasis conversations. We would touch mm -hmm. on the strokes. Uh, I would introduce Touch you on the strokes? <laughs> so we were talking about a lot of bands. I, I don't feel like I ever got your opinions on Nirvana, though. Uh, oh. And their, their first album, you know, Bleach came out on Sub Pop, which is why Sub Pop still exists, uh, because they're just piggybacking off of that legacy, and, and they deserve to. That's not a knock <laughs> on them. But I, I'm curious as to your Nirvana thoughts, just because I've never heard them. It was, I was listening to Nirvana for the first time, like a couple of days ago, um, first time in years, I should say, because like- it, <laughs> Like, yo, I gotta check these dudes out. <laughs> you guys heard of the grunge movement? <laughs> no, uh, so basically, um, what do I wanna say? Uh, so I like Nirvana quite a bit. I, when I was in middle school and high school, like I loved them a lot and people still to this day think I look like Kurt Cobain, which is really weird because like, I feel like him, like him and I have very different shape noses um <laughs> but but I, I i like nirvana quite a bit um i actually listened to a lot of their live stuff like 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 they're they they were a tight live band when kurt didn't want to just make fun of someone <laughs> like like there's sets that i'm like okay he was pissed off this night this is you know okay <laughs> i i actually i completely agree i find myself over the past year listening to a lot more nirvana than i had in a long time and it's almost all live sets. I think they are such a, a fun and engaging live band, especially if you can find, if you can find good sets from the In Utero tour, yeah. where I think the set list is, is really diverse. That is, that is some good stuff. So there's specifically, there's a show from Oakland in 93 that I would recommend. I think it might, it might even be New Year's Eve 93, but that is a really good show. There's a video bootleg of that on YouTube. That concludes the Nirvana portion of this podcast, unless uh, somehow we get back on a Nirvana tangent. There's one more band when it comes to Wiseblood that I, I would like to compare this album Titanic Rising to, and I think it will give away basically what I think about the album. Uh, Wiseblood appeared on the 2020 Killers album, Imploding the Mirage, on a song called My God. Now, Griffin, I don't know if you heard this Killers album. I was I was a huge fan, which I wasn't necessarily expecting to be in 2020. But actually, I thought it, it th I thought it rocked. I it totally changed the way I thought about the Killers to now. I'm, like I'm in on the Killers. Like they're kind of like cool dudes to me. I, I really like them. Um, what do you think? And I mentioned that because I'm not counting this in the conversation. What do you think Wise Blood's Titanic Rising has in common with the Killers? Um, I, I don't know. I only, I've only listened to Hot Fuss uh, from the Killers, which is like, I guess like the, 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 their, that's their, is this it? That's their definitely maybe, um, you know, but, but I don't know. I like, I can't say a lot. I don't know. Does that record have a lot of acoustic guitars and synthesizers on it? It has a lot of synthesizers on it. And actually oh. I am drawing a comparison between Titanic Rising and Hot Fuss because the first half of these albums are incredible. If they were yes. EPs, they would be the greatest EPs of all time. The second half of the album, a little disappointing. 
Okay. Watch your watch your mouth. <laughs> well, let's let's get into it, Griffin. This is Wise Blood's Titanic Rising. Like Griffin said, it came out on April fifth, twenty nineteen. Uh, we would have been living together, but real quick, can I just get a, a a snapshot of what Griffin's mental state was like in April of 2019, if you can think back that far? That is the end of our sophomore year of college. It, it was very poor. <laughs> it was, I was going through a rough time personally. Um, what's funny, funnily enough, another connection to Sub Pop and other bands, uh, I was listening to a lot of God's Favorite Customer by Father John Misty, of which Wise Blood is featured on the title track. Um, so if that, if that, if, if, if a Father John Misty breakup album um, can help you put put you in the headspace that I was in. <laughs> and I, not to not to air your dirty, dirty laundry, but I don't think you were going through a breakup at the time. I think you were just sad. Uh, well, yeah, it was, it was like it was like it was like when you stop hanging out with certain people and stuff. And I, I, on I top of that, that depression a, and things. It, it was, was a societal a, breakup. It was it was really my Joker moment. <laughs> well, Griffin, we live in a society. And we, we live in an album, or we live in an album. We live in a in a lifetime where Wise Blood put out Titanic Rising. The first song, A Lot's Going to Change, feels very intentional. I think the title of it is With Reason. And I'm curious as someone like you, who at least the impression that I get is uh, a little bit more familiar with her prior albums, whereas this is the only thing I know. Is this like a drastic departure from what she had done in the past? This entire record's more cinematic, I would say, because a lot of the stuff is very like pulling from like the Mamas and the Papas, like 60s sunshine pop bands, um, where it's like very much like drums, bass, acoustic guitar, amazing voice. And that's still very much on this album. But this one is kind of like, this is like, maybe like her pet sounds would be the equivalent going from something like, you know, surf and safari to, you know, good vibrations. If I could go back to a time It's not quite as strong as the song I, I will compare it to, which is Now My Heart Is Full by Morrissey, but... That's a great song. <laughs> a long, borderline orchestral opening song, something that is very bold to place at the front of an album. I got similar vibes from it, and and you know me. That is a compliment if I'm comparing you to anything off of Vox Hall and I. Well, like that's the thing is, like, something I really like about that the track in particular, and I really love the song, as a whole but the last words which is let me change my words show me where it hurts and like she goes into the rest of the record which is kind of her going through various like just personal tribulations and thoughts that she has i really like that as an opening is it's kind of acting as like a thesis statement of like here's what we're going to be dissecting a little bit of everything <laughs> and i really like that I think it's a really strong way to start the album, you know, and, and again, I will continue to use the hot fuss correlation because that's how I feel about this record. It really, it builds from there. It's like, my God, it's a great opening track. And then things get even better with Andromeda. I, I want to ask you this. You're a, uh, you're a musical man. Is that fair to say? I am. <laughs> that's uh, that's how I, I recognize you as well. Wiseblood said, you know, that, Deep space and the deep ocean are both very symbolic for the subconscious. And as somebody that's being wise blood, who is very introspective, I am a fan of trying to navigate the unseen, the unknown, and those mysteries that live within ourselves. The album cover on this album is a, a depicted bedroom underwater that wise blood is in. I throw you that, that water statement also with the, the idea that Pat Flynn, who was the singer of have heart, who now fronts the band fiddlehead, uh, he has talked at length about making sure that his album covers represent nature in some way. You see, you, you see a lot of uh, wheat and nature and farmland on his various projects. You see a, a, a theme of water with this album. Are there any sort of natural elements, any sort of land that inspire you creatively? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Like, for example, I don't know, like, I really it's kind of like absence of nature and like nature to the fullest like going out to like a like national park and just like walking up a literal foothill is like pretty inspiring in the same way that like going to like New York City and like walking around the streets and like seeing like 20 million Starbucks is kind of inspiring because it's it's, it's 
kind of two ends, two ends of the same, of the same pole, you know? Um, so, and like, definitely like water, um, this uh, Jim James from my morning jacket had a great bit. He's like, we're like 70% water. So it makes sense that we always want to go towards water, which I don't know if there's science to back that up, but I just kind of like that sentiment of like, we as humans naturally want to go back into the ocean. Um, I got to get you back in the audience when I perform comedy. If that is a great bit to you, if that is like killing it, then man, I, I got to get you front row next time I'm doing a show. Well, like, well, like, yeah, of course. I do. I, I, that's the one thing too. I miss going to the playground and seeing you guys and stuff. I do not. <laughs> that's not a thought I've Listen. had over the past year. It's like, man, I wish I was at the playground theater right now doing improv on college night. Haven't had that thought, Griffin. Well, see, as an outsider, I'm like, oh, it's charming. It's people working out their bits. It's cute. <laughs> it's one of those deals where, like, the playground college night. The be- and I've said this on the show before. I talked with Sam Sturbance about this when we talked about the first Joyce Manor record. The best crowd to perform comedy in front of in Chicago is when you are the opening act at the playground on college night. The worst crowd to perform in front of in Chicago is headlining college night. I don't know <laughs> what happens in the 45 to 60 minutes. That crowd is gone by the end of it. They do not care. They just want you to get off the stage. And I've been in both <laughs> positions and it's tough. It's the BYOB aspect because trust me, I've gone, I've gone to the playground sober. I've gone to the playground, you know, bringing my own beer, having brought my own beer in my body already. So it's, it's very much, it's like by the end, you're just like, dude, like I just want to go home and just like, <laughs> like just like decompress. But I don't know. It's a fun place, you know, where people are working out their shit, which is something I miss, but uh, I'm sorry. We totally got off topic. <laughs> no, that's, that was, uh, that was all part of my master plan, Griffin. You see, I'm always in control of this ship. It seems like it's veering out of control, but I'm going to steer it right back and I'm going to spirit back into Andromeda, which is the song we were talking about. We talked about the earthly elements that perhaps inspire your songwriting. What I like about this song, and I think it's something that, you know, again, I'm not super familiar with the Wise Blood catalog, but what really drew me to this album was, yes, the instrumentation is pretty, and I think a lot of these songs are very well put together, but the lyrical content, which is what I'm drawn to anyways, but the lyrical content of this record I found to be incredibly interesting, where you have this love song where where she's saying that love is calling and it's time to let through find a love that will make you i dare you to try and there's something very bold and something very powerful about this record i know this will ruffle some feathers i think there are parts of this record that wise blood succeeded at making what to me and again my dumb male face i get it but in terms of making a powerful but feminine record, I thought this was a much better uh, uh, version of that than Fetch the Bolt Cutters. I'll say it. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think they're different records. Like, I, obviously, they're different records. But and, I, like... and, I, and you know me, I hate to pit women against one another. <laughs> Not the purpose of this show. Not the purpose of this show. But... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Fiona, Fiona Apple fan. I love her first two records. And I, the little bit that I've heard kind of in between, I like something about fetch the pole cards where it's like, man, I feel like this has been done, but better. And I wasn't directly comparing it to this record at the time, but I do feel like this record offers a lot of like, yeah, this is what I was looking for. Fetch the bolt cutters felt a little hollow to me. This record, at least the first half is full of life and full of energy and, and powerful in a way that I just wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, like, well, something else, um, something I noticed, this is a bit nerdy, but about the EQing, it's her underwater uh, on the on the cover, right? And there's not a lot of bright frequencies kind of coming through outside of her voice. Everything else is very muted. The slide guitars, typically slide guitars, like you think of like the Almond Brothers or something, right? Like just very bright and fiery. They're very, very muted. Um, but yeah, and with the Fetch the Bolt Cutters thing too, you know, it's funny because I compare that record also to the Beach Boys, like like a Pet Sounds or something, but like in a lo-fi way where it's like, okay, we have a piano and an upright bass and a couple pots and pans. Like, like a- Which to me is an AJJ record. I just want to make that clear. When you say piano, you know upright bass, I'm like, you know what? That's Andrew Jackson Jihad. <laughs> You know what? You know, man. That, that's I'll, yeah. This this that that was her. That was her. Uh, oh God, what's that? What's that record? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. It's one with the people who can on eat it. people or yeah. knife man. <laughs> Both. Why not? <laughs> I look horribly embarrassing thing to say in public. I was re-listening to a lot of knife man this week, and I was like, damn, 
this holds up. I agree. It's still really, really good. <laughs> listen, if people can still listen to Hoobastank in like 2021 and say, wow, this is actually good, I can listen to AJJ and like be like, yeah, I'm vibing. Fuck you. No, there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of that discography there. Uh, and their Live at the Crescent Ballroom record is tremendous. Like there is just a lot there where, I mean, I haven't touched most AJJ stuff since – 2017 2018 and i went back this week and i was like man this is the good stuff like this is vintage case low listening right here some ajj deep cuts this is what i'm talking about and griffin i gotta say i i, I paired that off with some wise blood listening it's a pretty good week for me dude i'm happy to, i'm happy i could help <laughs> let's talk about every day that is what follows i have down in my notes i think this could have been a nancy sinatra song it's jaunty it's a little fun. It's upbeat. I was a big fan. Yeah, it's one of those songs that kind of make you like like want to dance in like the street and like a choreographed like La La Land esque mm-hmm. thing. Like it's very bombastic. The drums are great on that on this. Like the big like orchestral. I think it's like timpanis and stuff going off. Like yeah, I don't know. I can't complain. It's a great song. <laughs> would I like the movie La La Land? I have not seen it. it well, like it, yeah, I think you would. Like it's you jazz, think I would like it. it. It's jazzy. So, but it's not jazzy. And like, like, because I was going to send you literally uh, as a joke, five avant-garde jazz records. That was my original plan. And then send you an actual list, which would be my list I ended up sending you. <laughs> <laughs> which is horrifying to think that that is like that. You didn't prank. That was my safe list. one. That was my safe one. <laughs> like, oh, this one's a hit. <laughs> um, I, who's in that movie? Emma Stone? Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, uh, J.K. Simmons has a small part in it. it like, it, it's, it, it's Broadway jazz. So it's like very, but it's, I don't know, I like it. I, it's one of my favorite movies of the past few years. I think, you should, I think you would like it. I probably would not like it as much as Shoplifters of the World Unite, which uh, to me is everything that I want in a movie. Because the thing about that movie, Griffin, and I haven't seen it yet, but the thing about that movie is that it gives me something to believe in. Because we live in a society that is not always nice to the nice guy, Griffin. You know, sometimes men are incredibly vulnerable, actually. And sometimes society looks down on them. And I need something to believe in, just like track four on this record, which is Wise Blood, Something to Believe In, which is essentially a call for motivation. She needs something to help her get out of bed every day. And Griffin, I'm curious, what is that thing for you? What keeps you going? Cause Hey man, we've been close to the cliff before. We've almost thumb on Louise, this shit out of here. What keeps you going Griffin? Uh, the coffee, honestly, like, like the first line of that song, drank a lot of coffee today, got lost in the fray. Like I literally almost cried the first time hearing that. Like, I felt like a teenager again, being like, this understands me. Like, but like, oh God, this is probably this. And then one of the song, two of the songs on the back end are two of my, are probably my favorite songs, but we, we can get to those later. Um, but yeah, um, for I don't know, like obviously music, like I love music and there's people, you know, who I love hanging, hanging around. And plus like, you know, I you know, hate to bum my parents out, <laughs> like dying, you know, that'd be a real drag, <laughs> be a real mood killer. This is a bad podcast question because I'm pretty sure there are podcasts out there that would base an entire episode around this. I just need a brief answer. We don't need to dive too deep into this, but you mentioned your coffee. I'm curious about the other thing that you're very passionate about. How is your hot sauce collection going? She's, she's slim. I've, 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 I've worn, I've worn it down. I realized I was a bit gratuitous. I was a bit, I was a bit American with the hot hot sauces that I was consuming and the volume of it. So I decided, you know, just one big thing is sriracha, tapatito, some red pepper flakes, and then occasionally maybe, maybe a little artisanal one I find on a deal or something at my local grocery store. But yeah. You know, I've been cooking some now that I live alone. Oh, is that, is that it? I don't mean to brag. (laughs) But I've, I, can, I can make eggs, and I can make burgers, and I can make them damn well. <laughs> I'm really happy for you. That's a big, that's a big, do you remember those times uh, I would come home and we'd make burgers every once in a while? I'd come home from the office. And, um, <laughs> you would come would... home with your suit jacket slung over your shoulder, and I'd be waiting for you. And you would, of course, in this scenario, normally I would have dinner waiting for you. But in this case, I made dinner. In this case, I would be waiting for you to make me dinner. Yes. <laughs> simpler days, Griffin. Simpler times. Uh, simpler we move times. into the, the, the middle of this record. It's an instrumental. It's the title track. I enjoyed the placement of it. 
I didn't have an issue with a little minute long, uh, I'm not going to call it filler, but something to fill the space, we'll say, this little minute long instrumental. I liked it. I thought it made the record more cinematic. I don't expect you to have a ton of thoughts on it, but how did you feel about the uh, the way this album broke into halves? I loved it a lot because on the on the physical record, that's the last song of side A. So I just really like that. And side B concludes with a, a reprise sort of of it with near to the, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, like I, I, I'm always a fan of instrumental stuff. I'm, I'm a big fan of interludes and I think this is expertly well done. <laughs> I would agree with that. Unfortunately, that means we have to get into side two. Oh no. There are some songs that I have a ton of thoughts on. And there are, there, I mean, there are songs on the side where it's just like, I don't know, that was fine. And that's unfortunate for this show that there's there's a few tracks in here and there it's not like there's that many to choose from on a 10 song album, but there's some where it's just like, I don't know, that was fine. It just didn't light my world on fire. The, the main issue is track number six, which is oh, movies. dude, you're picking fights now. <laughs> This song is unacceptable. This is how it feels to be in love. This is life from above. There's no books anymore. I'm bound to that summer. This is such bullshit. I'm sorry. This song is so bad. Dude, this is this this is one of those songs. Again, similar to to uh to uh, oh my gosh, uh uh the track four. <laughs> oh I, like yes, uh, track four on this album is of course something to believe. Something to believe that every time I put it on, I feel immense emotional reaction to. Um because you also like movies. Well, yeah, well, it's it's case. It's not case. It's not a literal like put me physically in a movie, right? It's more of like this idea of character and that we're all in our own movies, but yet movies themselves try to elevate reality to a different level, you know. And it's like we're tied. And she mentions I'm tied to that summer big Hollywood blockbuster. This idea of that our life can be like a blockbuster, and how we're kind of always kind of torn with that. At least I am. I don't know. I'm deep case. <laughs> I love Wise Blood. She seems tremendous. She seems like a really nice person. I think she's an incredibly talented musician, and I really like parts of this record. This song is like a bad dating profile. It's... I, oh, I was, no. <laughs> I was blown away at what this song was. Of course, you know, and, and the, the point of this episode is not going to be to litigate how long some of these songs are, because there's, you know, uh, you know, every day is a five-minute song. I have no issue with that song. Movies is a six-minute song, that feels every bit as long, if not twice as long. I was just stunned by this. The instrumentation does nothing for me. I find the lyrical content to be goofy and unappealing. This is a swing and a miss with the bases loaded and the game on the line because up to this point, I loved the record. See, I can see where you're coming from and I have that kind of similar complaint with the next song is the next song is the one where I think it's kind of the weak, it's kind of the odd guy out is because I think the record is really great. And this song, the following song, Mirror Forever is just okay. And I will um, let you know now, I completely agree. It was, it okay. felt, it felt out of place. It was just not. Yeah, the snaps with like the echoes and stuff just sonically doesn't fit in, See, with the rest of the record. <laughs> Griffin, this is Biden's America. This is unity right here. Because although uh, we come at this from two different angles where, Part of me, and we'll talk about this more at the end, but part of me is like, man, this album is a lot. Like this, I can't believe I like this as much as I do. Anytime there are snaps like that in a song, I'm out. I can't handle that. That's just an annoying musical thing that I have no patience for. Yeah, I have I have a hard time finding an example of finger snaps other than maybe West Side Story that like that that like really do it justice, you know? And that's like the ultimate finger snap. <laughs> That's like it is the, the apex mountain of finger snapping right. is, a, is in West Side Story. Like, I'll, and I'll say this about Mirror Forever every once in a while, I'll be in the mood for the song, but like, definitely when I'm putting on the physical vinyl, that's the one where I might check Instagram a little bit. And what's awesome is that the record is great, so it's just you know, it's like that one song, I'm just like, hey, it's fine, it's whatever. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. Mirror Forever doesn't quite do it for me. But movies, I, I, I love movies. <laughs> I guess, like, I don't listen to a ton of Lana Del Rey. Neither do but I. I... <laughs> <laughs> she was on Lana's new record, though. I yes, I saw that. Um, I like I love the idea of Lana Del Rey. Relax, I you know I understand it comes with some territory, but like the aesthetic of Lana Del Rey, I'm like, man, this is awesome. And then whenever I listen to her music, I'm just like, now I'm just gonna go back to just pretending I've never heard this because I again I like the idea of a lot of it. Movies is like if SNL did a parody of a Lana Del Rey song, I feel like it would be movies. That's so harsh, dude. Like, that's so, that's so rough. Like, like, well, this, see, this is the thing is like Lana Del Rey, I've heard some, I've heard like her big songs, like video games and stuff. And like, it's very lavish and lush. And it's like very like, I think it's so much like a Wes Anderson film in a way where it exists in a world where like basic necessities are always met, like food, shelter, whatever. So you can be frivolous in ways, you know? Um, but <laughs> But I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that to this one. It feels very like childish in a good way and very nostalgic in a good way. Of like you're sitting in a like a nice field and you're thinking about. I don't know. You're thinking about the film you just saw when you were like in seventh grade. Like, <laughs> look. I don't know what that mem- is. That a specific memory that you have of sitting in a field and watching a movie in seventh grade? I was. I was. I've definitely thought about movies while I've been sitting in fields. <laughs> I guess maybe I just haven't sat in a lot of fields. We were talking before we started recording about how I was uh, recently in an encounter where somebody was telling me how much they love swimming in lakes. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have memories of that. Like, not that I, not that I've turned down the opportunity. I've just never been presented with the option to swim in a lake before. I haven't done a ton of field sitting either. Not I've, I've recently, uh, believe it or not, I've just now realized this, that all of my hobbies are consuming different forms of media. Really? And you just realized that? I just did. <laughs> I, just, I saw, I saw uh, somebody sent me a TikTok of a woman complaining about men who only, like their hobbies are only media consumption. And it, it just about made me cry. It was so hurtful. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it was so bad. And I was like, oh my God she's talking about me like this is so not good but i just i don't know like what else am i supposed to do that's why what is this life if not consuming other people's art yeah like I, like i don't know it's the same thing like like sometimes and it's like definitely showing my own like fragility when someone will be like oh you like neutral milk hotel what are you like some guy who can't get over his ex i'm like maybe i don't know i like music like eat, eat my ass you know <laughs> Griffin, let's go, uh, no, please finish that thought. No, I'm sure that was going to no, be really no. eloquent. Finish that thought. No, no, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> let's go to Wild Time, which I found to be a little folky. I, I would compare it to a Joni Mitchell song. Is that a fair comparison? I feel like you might listen to more Joni Mitchell than I do. I tweeted like last week about how I was crying to Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Well, like, also, I, I I believe the song that she was on on Lana's record is a Joni Mitchell cover, of which I, well, I listened to that song only just because Wiseblood was on it. And I was like, oh, like, Wiseblood, very obviously a fan of Joni, like, n- knows the licks, per se. Yeah, I, I, I like this quite a bit. It is the longest song on the album coming in at 6.09. I did not have an issue with the length, you know, could have been cut down, of course, but I did not have an issue with the length. I, length. I'm curious, though. Uh, you are someone, and we talked at, at length about this on our first episode, the Neutral Milk Hotel in the Airplane Over the Sea episode, just about the length of songs and, and what I'm looking for compared to you, uh, someone who is an experimental musician. I'm just curious, as someone like yourself that has flirted with the idea of these longer songs, can you talk about, I, this is a gross question, can you talk about your process a little bit? <laughs> and how it relates to crafting uh, these epics, these five plus minute songs. Is there a certain mindset you have to be in to do that? Yeah, so typically it's like three or 4 a.m. and you think everything you're doing is like the next greatest thing, right? Uh, well, because like, okay, so like a song that isn't out yet, but we're recording, it's kind of works in three parts and it's, it's actually like six minutes long. And like the big thing I realized is, and you kind of, you kind of did this for me, um, well, which was like, you have to keep the listener's attention. Like, just because you're having fun playing doesn't mean it's good. Like, it means like you can get boring. And now mind you, I listen to like a lot of like jammier, like more experimental kind of long-winded music. So like Nonsense. I, 
fun music. <laughs> um, but, but like, <laughs> but um, I don't know. So like my attention span for that's maybe a bit longer than, than the normal person who listens to a four or five minute song. But um, I guess the process is mostly just kind of every, every however long feels right doing something interesting as well as fielding it to people. Like I'm going to be sending you some demos here probably in the next month or so and being like, have I wasted months of my life case? <laughs> I am looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a, a very uh, appropriate way. It makes sense that I, I'm sure Wild Type was also written at three or four in the morning. And it's, you know, I guess is is this one of your top tracks on the record? Is this in your top three? I like it. It's not in my top three though. It's it would be the next song that's in my top three. Well, um, that's, let's let us hear your thoughts on it. Let's hear "Picture Me Better." That is a song that I think is like it's very classically beautiful in a lot of ways for balladry. It's a very sentimental, very confessional, very just musically vocally beautiful song. But it's one of those songs that like. <laughs> That, like I'll put on and I'll be like I want to listen to this I'm having like a rough day and then I'll, I'll be like why am I crying and never have I not have never have I listened to that song and not like in some form had to like take a break and like take a couple of breaths like it's just one of those really powerhouse tunes I believe it was written for like a friend of hers who like killed herself or something and it's yeah it, it was indeed it it reminds me of a song and I I'm gonna be very careful when I say this because I know Griffin hates her but it reminds me of Phoebe oh, no. Bridgers and her song Funeral, uh, which- A great song, a great song by a great artist. <laughs> a great song, of course. I do like the Spanish love songs version better. That's my own cross to bear, but that's because I, I think Phoebe really found herself on Punisher, which is an album that I, you know, look, I really enjoyed it because I, you know, tend to like good music. Some people it's have good. an issue with it. It's a good album. It's a good album. <laughs> Some might say it's a great album, but Picture Me Better, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the last real song on this album as it closes with an instrumental. I think it's a very um, strong way to close the album. If, if the second side, and not necessarily having the emotional gravitas of the song, but if the second side of this record were songs that sounded a little bit more like this, instead of your movies, Mirror Forever, Wild Time uh, stretch of songs, I would be much more receptive to it. And even though I like this album because, you know, even Wild Time is a song that I that I like, I just don't love. I think Picture Me Better ends the record on a good note. And then you hit that that other instrumentation to close this record out. And it's it's very impactful and it's very heavy. And I guess the the one thing that I can say, sort of put this album all together, is let's say it's eight songs. I mean it's 10 with the with the two instrumentals, but these eight songs. They all stand out. They all have a life of their own. And it's a very digestible record. I did not have to listen to this album too many times over the course of this week to know exactly how I felt about it, which is great because there are albums that, you know, I, I have to listen to eight or nine times to have, you know, takes on individual songs. This is one by the second time I kind of knew where I stood with this album. And for the most part, it's it's overly positive. Yeah, like, I think it's one of those records, you know, what's funny is like, um, I, when I was listening, listening to it today, um, before the podcast, I, uh, like, it's kind of the first side, side A was like very like cinematic, that Beach Boys kind of very bombastic sound. And then the second side, I was like, it's almost kind of split into a side of its own with the more electronic synthesizer kind of bass stuff. And then the two acoustic ballads. And I almost just kind of wish you would have chose one or the other to kind of fully go with. Um, even though I like movies a lot and I like, I like Mirror Forever, it's okay. And I, I really like, I really, I love uh, Wild Time and Near, Near to Be. Um, but yeah, it's one of those records that like, I'm really excited for her next record as well. Like, I don't know when that's coming out. I don't know if she's working on it or anything, but I am, I don't know, like, because I love this album so much as I feel like, like if anything, hopefully she'll take like the criticisms that she's gotten from it. And it's been mostly a positive reaction too. I think most people's problems is just kind of like the little bit of whiplash you get from the genre shift on the B side. Um, so I'm hoping that she'll take that into her next record and like create like a, a, a full blown masterpiece. Well, I'll be listening. She's made a fan out of me because I, I really like this record and most of the critics did as well. It received an 8.5 out of 10 and best new music from Pitchfork, a four out of five from the NME and an A minus from the AV club. Uh, Griffin, the name of the show is Art School Albums. Uh, sometimes the art school nature is of the popularity or lack thereof of an album. 
sometimes it is the lineage, the prestige that it holds in the eyes of the younger person, say a neutral book hotel, for example. And there are other times where it is the content of the record that I think defines it as an art school album. I love this record, but I, my own musical stylings, my own musical preferences, I was very tentative to latch onto it because there is something about this album that I found to be incredibly pretentious. And that's not a bad thing in terms of the songwriting or the way it's laid out, but it's, it's a very pretty album. Uh, there's a lot of, it's just, there's a sort of majesty to it that you know what I like. It makes me very yeah. uncomfortable in a way. I think about listening to this album, I was thinking of the Seinfeld line where Seinfeld says, I can't watch a man sing, you know, all that swaying and whatnot. And I was thinking like, thank God Wiseblood is who she is. Uh, because if this was an album done by a man, I just would not like it. You made a face when I said this album was pretentious. Do you have a counter to that? No, I like I, to me, I, I wouldn't call it pretentious. I would call it well-read. It feels very like, which, like which, it, that was very pretentious, <laughs> which like, I guess in its own way. Yeah. But, no, like, but like, I, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like I've watched a bunch of interviews and read a bunch of interviews with uh, Natalie Maring and stuff. And it's just like, I feel like she's just a person who is just very intellectual and that's going to seep into her art. And that's what I love about it. I don't consider her pretentious. I just think she's smart. Look, I agree. Uh, I don't necessarily have a counter for that. There is something about this record, though, where, you know, the the, the punk rock person within me, I was like, is this really the album that I'm going to be listening to? The Ramones to? fan within you. Of course. And I and I do love the Ramones. Obviously, rock, 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 high school. Um, no, the Ramones are fine. I like I, I like the, the Ramones. Yeah, I yeah. like the first three albums quite a bit. Uh, and yeah. then uh, uh, whatever Pet Cemetery is on, is that Brain Drain, I believe? Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> talking about a mid-80s Ramones album uh, when I'm not being flocked by women. I haven't thought obviously. about Pet Cemetery forever, man. I used to bump that song in eighth grade. I thought uh, that was the tremendous. coolest stuff. And I don't know, I, that, you know what I think that song benefited from more than anything? I think there was like a programmer at Pandora that must have loved that song because I don't remember that being that big of a hit, but I definitely discovered it through Pandora Radio. Yeah, well, I remember I, I discovered like the Ramones, like a lot of like early like '80s DC hardcore fr- through Pandora, like in yes. eighth grade, and, and then like I then from there I just started buying like greatest hits albums of all these punk bands, like the Ramones' greatest hits and stuff. And that's terrifying <laughs> to think that I know exactly what you're talking about because I did the same thing of like a lot of like there's a a, a Black Flag live album that I definitely heard a lot of on Pandora radio, which is something I have not thought about in about nine years. So See, that I'm, is a, I'm happy we're digging this stuff up, you know? <laughs> that is a fun way to end this podcast, Griffin. I'm curious. No, it's, when, we're keeping on going. When it <laughs> I comes got more to, to say. Well, I've got, I've got one more question for you. And then by all means, you have the floor. But when it comes to Wise Blood's Titanic Rising, who needs to hear this album and why? Everyone needs to hear this album. You know why they need to hear this album? because it's really great. And if you want to listen to some great, kind of psychedelic, but very laid back, confessional, wonderful music, this is where you need to go now, pronto, stat. <laughs> uh, Griffin is now doing A&R work at Sub Pop Records. He just didn't, he didn't want to tell you that, but that was the hardest sell for a Wise Blood album I've ever heard. The thing is, I don't disagree with it. Uh, before we get into plugs, because don't worry, I'm going to give you the opportunity to hawk your merchandise is there anything else you have to say either about this album or just in general? I don't know. Hope everyone's doing well out there on the airwaves. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get the plugs. What do you have to plug, Griffin? Um, so I'm in a band, Ian Waster. If you like, if you like Wise Blood, we're very much influenced by Wise Blood. In, the, in fact, in the new music we're recording, I was EQing the drums and I kept sending Gabe songs off this album and being like, do you like the sound of these drums? And he'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, cool. And so I'm, I'm like, basically basically using that as a model for some of the drum sounds but we've been recording a whole bunch we have we have some cassettes available of two of our most recent albums one of which yesterday as the day we're recording this was the one year anniversary a joyous round for akron ohio are those cassettes on your Bandcamp page yes they are good sir <laughs> that is that you're, is good you're a pro is it yinwaster.bandcamp.com you know it uh i have it tattooed somewhere well griffin Thank you for joining me on the show. This was a blast. I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore case low, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. And the podcast itself, if you want updates on the show, but not on my life, it is on Instagram at art school albums. Griffin Meng, 
There's only a few more of these. Uh, the Arch Goblins podcast is coming to an end very soon. And I thank you for joining me on one of the final episodes. This has been Wise Blood's Titanic Rising. Thank you.